0: Amen. Uh, we've come back to the book of 2 Corinthians. It is uh, the book that I had recently finished before the, we got into the book of Hebrews. Of course, we're going back to Hebrews uh, pretty soon here. i just maybe make a little bit of an announcement with that. I will be back in the book of Hebrews, Lord willing, uh, after uh, a short break, a vacation that my wife and I uh, will go on in March. And so, Lord willing, we'll probably start up uh, in April. Um, Uh, For sure, and get back into the book of Hebrews, which is what we want to do in our church: is book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse exposition, line by line, Uh, because the Bible says all Scripture is inspired of God, and it is profitable for instruction and correction and rebuke and 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 training in righteousness. And so we want to go systematically, expositionally, as is our custom. And so we will be back to the book of Hebrews soon, but we have some unfinished business with this theme that we have been looking at as of late, and it is the theme uh, revived by God and what it means to be revived by God. We saw all sorts of different contexts in which personal renewal personal growth, personal revival is applicable and is pretty wide-ranging. I mean, we have to deal with the, the battle that we have within, with sin, the battle that we have without, with the world, um, a consideration of who God is, the attributes of God, and how that is a means of revival, personal communion with Jesus Christ as the the, the, the attributes of God become tangible to us in the person and work of Jesus But today, I want to come into a a, a topic of um, discussing the nature of suffering, because suffering is such a big part of the Christian life, wouldn't you agree? And perhaps in your life, you have not suffered to the extent that maybe is reflected in Scripture that maybe you might find uh, in certain uh, passages, accounts, experiences, people Or even people around you, the person sitting next to you may be much more well acquainted with the subject of suffering, maybe on a physical level, on a a level dealing with sickness or disease or suffering because of some traumatic experience. Whatever it may be, there is no question, my dear brothers and sisters, we are appointed to suffer. And so no sort of uh, delusions of grandeur here with the Christian life. My job as a pastor in part, large part, is to prepare you to suffer. You can go further than that. My job as a pastor is to prepare you to die. (laughs) Sounds kind of a morbid calling, right? But it really isn't when you understand the slogan that Paul gave us in Philippians that to live is Christ, to die is gain, And so, if we have the eternal perspective, the biblical perspective, then we understand that our suffering is, um, you know, experienced in light of of a greater purpose, of greater context, an eternal perspective that we have to take on. Let me read to you what David says in Psalm 119, verses 50 and 51. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant... Utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. See, what David is saying here is that he saw that personal revival did not exclude the issue of suffering. But oftentimes, as you know, it is concurrent with suffering. And But he also saw that the source of his strength was that in those trying hours that we suffer, that we are afflicted, in whatever way, whatever shape or form that's going to come, that what is the source of our strength in that very moment is the Word of God. But David also saw the fact that he would not be deterred by, from the Word of God by anything that the wicked could do to him. In other words... For David, he saw that the believer's experience of suffering was to look nothing like the experience of the wicked. But is that true? Do our lives reflect that we have the same coping mechanisms, if you would, that the world does? We go to the same sources, the same, um, you know, the same source of strength or encouragement. We take the same exact steps to be encouraged when we suffer. We look for the same exact types of things to build us back up. Well, for David, it wasn't. David was focused on the fact that exclusively it was the Word of God that would build him up when he suffered the most, and that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's giving us, because he's uh, he is reflecting on his own experience of suffering, and he's going to give us quite a few promises of how we are to interact with suffering in a unique way, in a Christian way, in a distinctly biblical way. And the way that he does that is that he gives us uh, several things to latch onto, if you would. Number one, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches us that when we suffer We should suffer with assurance. That's point number one. We should suffer with assurance. Now, there's a few different aspects of what it is that we should be assured of. And this is all such very, very good news for us. Number one, we should be assured of the fact that God knows and understands our suffering. After all, isn't that what we want more than anything when we're suffering? Someone who understands Someone that can relate, someone that knows what we're going through. Well, rest assured, my dear brothers and sisters, that God knows what we're going through when we suffer. He understands, He identifies with us. And just look back to the text that we're looking at, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We know that because in this passage, beginning in verse 3, God is referred to as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort which means that God has a legacy of comforting His people. And sadly, brothers and sisters, we are so deceived in our minds when we suffer, when we are discouraged, and when we're beaten down, or when, for whatever reason we fall under some severe affliction, some depression, some season of melancholy. It is a satanic deception that tells us that we need to take a break from God we need to go to something other than God at that time that might look like a million different things I need to take a break from the church I need to take a break from my my bible studying I need to take a break from fellowship I need to take a break from worshiping God I need to take a break from all from prayer no 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 if anything, suffering should drive us to God. Why? Because He is the God of, of all comfort. He is the Father of mercies. The very thing that we need, He has. And yet, if we go away from Him, we are leaving the only true source of our comfort. You see, God knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He knows as the psalmist declares in Psalm 103, we are dust, and he knows it. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, just as, the fa- just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. That's why we can come to him we know that God knows what we're going through. It's not just that God is mindful that we are feeble, that we are weak. It's more than that. It's that His compassion is actually an action. It actually does something. It's not just that He knows this, but He knows it with the aim to do something about it, which is to lavish us with His comfort. He's, it's a verb. It's a verb of action. He comforts us. In all our affliction. As a matter of fact, the verb that Paul uses here in that verse, in verse four, where he says, He comforts us in all of our affliction, that verse, that verb, excuse me, literally is communicating the fact that not only does God move, but He moves with the point that He wants to instill into us, He wants to impart to us His mercy, His comfort. Uh, you can see this, in, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, on a horizontal level as we think about encouraging one another. Timothy was sent to the church of Thessalonica who was suffering under persecution and needed encouragement. He sent them for what? To impart to them strength. To give them encouragement because they needed it. And it says here, we sent Timothy our brother God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen, and then the same word that's used here, to encourage you as to your faith. So in other words, Timothy was sent because through his ministry to the church, he was able to impart, to instill, to infuse them with encouragement. Same thing with God. God reaches us with his comfort it means that he is going to deposit his comfort into us he's going to be merciful and lavish us with mercy so we're we're assured that God knows and understands our suffering but even further than that we are assured secondly that God will use our suffering for the good of others now this is when we have to really really think biblically Uh, That our lives are not fatalistic. You know, fatalism says that que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Things happen for no good reason. How many times have you heard that around the culture? Things just happen because they happen. There's no explanation to this. It just, you know, why did bad things happen to good people? Nobody knows. It's just the way life is. That is so unbiblical. Everything has meaning in the Christian life. Even those points where you are at your lowest and where you are suffering the most, understand that your suffering has great purpose in the plan of God. So, from the vertical perspective, God's comfort assures us that we will be able to promote the same kind of comfort in others. Look at the text again, 2 Corinthians 1.4, the second part says, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, now that's important, any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I just extend that, that phrase there, any affliction, because what that means is that, Even though Paul, in this text, is talking about persecution, because that's the suffering that he's talking about, he generalizes it, he extends it, he applies it to all suffering in general. As he says, you'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. You know, at times, the most powerful thing for somebody who's suffering is somebody who can testify that they've been where they're at. It's somebody that knows how to suffer deeply, just like there's some. When we hear the empathy of the voice of others who have suffered like we have, it can land on us with great healing, like a healing bomb to our soul. This is why Paul is going to share his own experience with the church, to comfort them as one who knew what it meant to suffer. He knows what it means to be persecuted. We derive our comfort both from the testimony of others but supremely from the testimony of Scripture. Thank God that He has left us the testimony of those who have suffered in the Bible so that we will be able to look to them, draw courage from them, draw strength from them. Now, here's another point. I might make a bigger deal out of this because I thought, this is remarkable what Paul's saying here. The third thing is that we are assured that God will comfort us, listen now, to the degree that we suffer. In other words, as our suffering intensifies, so does the comfort of God. That's what he says. Look at um, verse 5 here. He says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to feel something? So, I feel pain... You say your back is hurting. Does that mean I'm gonna get more emotional about Christianity? No, 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 no. Now, Christianity is not uh, mysticism, Christianity is uh, a religion of faith where we believe in the promises of, of God. And so the way that He comforts us through Christ is by virtue of the reality of being in union with Christ. That's what it means, through Christ. Obviously, it doesn't mean that Jesus comes out of heaven, sits in the hospital bed with you, and has a conversation with you. No, 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 no. It's that you are one with Him, is that He is in you. You are in union with Jesus Christ, and that reality is what comforts you in every step of the way. I was just with somebody who suffered. You know that I went and visited a good friend in California who was... Uh, literally, the doctor said, you should have died. He had kidney failure, and the night that I arrived, I mean, I just welled up with tears. He was so bad. He looked like he was in such bad shape. I just got very emotional, and um, I didn't show him that. I had to... (laughs) I had to disguise that, but because I wanted to be an encouragement, and I didn't want to bring him any more emotional upheaval than he had. But, but, but you know, I tell you what—he was clinging to God. I learned so much. See, he doesn't know this, but part of the reason I went there is because knowing, uh, knowing my friend, I, I, I knew that he knew how to suffer, and I knew that I was going to learn from him. <laughs> Ironically, right? He encouraged me more than I encouraged him, probably. And what was he doing? He was clinging to Christ. And he was looking to his union with Christ and focusing on that. And he prayed these prayers that he could barely mumble out of his mouth. But what he was praying was the reality of the fact that he was in Christ. And that just dignified his whole experience of suffering. Of suffering. You see, we have a coping mechanism that says that even when we're overwhelmed, we're not overwhelmed. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians because in this very book, the Apostle is going to make two different kinds of statements. You're going to go, go on to see in chapter 1, he's going to say, we were basically beyond, on the breaking point. We were overwhelmed. But then he says in another place that he was not overwhelmed or that he could cope with being overwhelmed. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. He says, you know this text. He says, this is where Jesus, after Paul asked Christ to take away a thorn in the flesh, we don't know what that was exactly. Some say it was a physical ailment. Some say no, it was actually a divisive agent, a person in the church who was like a thorn in his side, who wouldn't stop undermining and stop causing division in the church. I think it's a physical problem, but We'll find out. He says, my this is what Jesus responded to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's a very, very interesting dynamic. This is how God works. His power is not perfected when you, as a Christian, might shine the brightest on your best day, when you feel healthy and everything is good and right and there's no trials and everything is pretty smooth sailing. No, he has a history of shining at the darkest time. He says, most gladly, therefore, because the power of God is perfected in weakness. He says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is how God encourages us in our weakness that we have this unique capacity that the world does not have that when we are at our weakest when we are afflicted the most we have the unique capacity to glorify god the most in our life we're to be strengthened by grace we're saved by grace we are sanctified by grace and now it says here we are strengthened by his grace whether it is the grace of patience When the kids have all grown up, but they're still acting like kids. Whether it is the grace of faithfulness, when you as a Christian are fickle-hearted and whimsical and you lack character and you lack resolve, you lack commitment. Whether it is the grace of endurance, when we are being tempted to throw in the towel and we don't want to persevere in a culture of sin and compromise and relativism, maybe whether it is the grace of devotion to the Word of God and to biblical principles, when everybody around seems to be abandoning them, whether it is the grace of eternity, my dear friends, when we are faced with the hour of death, we know that we have a good shepherd that is ready to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death itself. That's right. Whatever the occasion, however strong the trial, regardless of how severe the affliction, we can be assured that just as we share in Christ's suffering, so too we will be compensated by his abundant comfort. Be assured that when you suffer, God is with you, and he gives you the grace that you need when you need it. He doesn't give it to you ahead of time. He gives it to you. As somebody said once, you get the ticket to the train when you get on the train. Not beforehand, right? You get the ticket when you get on the train. He's going to give you the mercy that you need, the strength that you need, in the hour that you need it. That will help you to face your trials knowing that his promise will hold true. Secondly, not only do we suffer with assurance, but we also suffer with purpose. We suffer with purpose. Now, there's two aspects of this. There is a personal aspect or a personal uh, level here. And then there's also a corporate level or ecclesiastical level. In other words, we're talking about either the individual or the church and those effects. What is the purpose of our suffering? Well, on the personal level, I think we all know. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Because suffering has a purpose. Oh boy, is is there anything more discouraging than to suffer and think that it's all for nothing. But how encouraging is it to know that when you suffer, there's a reason, there is a purpose. By faith, you are going to believe that when you are suffering, God has a sovereign reason for it. It's not for nothing. I don't know any other way to hold it together, I'll be really honest with you without looking at the promises of God, the truth of God, God's Word, and what it says. Romans 5.3 tells us the individual aspect of the purpose of why we suffer. Paul says, not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. You know how powerful that word is there? Proven character. That's actually one Greek word, uh, dikame. And that word speaks of a test. Uh, It it speaks of testing something, purifying something, uh, trying something. And so exactly what the NASB is doing here is it's trying to bring that out a little bit by saying The result is a tested character. You've been tested and tried, and what has emerged is a proven character. Only tribulation can get you there, but only tribulation that is met with perseverance. If you're tempted to throw in the towel, if you're tempted to fold, if you're tempted to apostatize in the midst of your suffering as so many have, then perseverance will not have its full effect. And it will not produce what we need more than anything in that hour, which is hope. Nothing worse than hopelessness. Hell is hell because there is no hope. You can suffer a great deal of things. And if you have hope to hold on to, If you know that you can look forward to some relief at some point, you can hold on. But this is the maddening thing about hell, is that there is no hope. Turn with me to James chapter 1. If we want hope in our trials and our suffering, the strongest antidote, the greatest medicine, the best remedy for a suffering person, a suffering soul is that they are filled with hope. James chapter one, beginning in verse two, because the Bible tells us that in order to have this hope, we have to meet our trials with the right perspective and with the right heart. Because notice what Romans said: we exult, which means we re- rejoice. Right? Same thing with uh, uh, James one. Beginning of verse 2, he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That word various can be translated literally multicolor, variegated, many shades, all shapes and sizes, of all colors and stripes. Trials come in, don't they? Don't trials have a way to just creep into your life? You try to do everything that you can to avoid them, but somehow they they manage to rear their ugly face. (laughs) And there are all different types. There are small trials. There are short trials. There are long trials. There are trials that last for a moment. There are trials that last for a lifetime. Trials are everywhere. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith, same idea, it produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be, watch this, so that you may be perfect. Does that perplex you? The Bible says you may be perfect. What does it mean? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect there means something like mature. So that you can be mature. So that you can approach your trials with the right perspective, so that you can be godly in the hour of your trial. That's what it's saying. But there are other effects to our suffering. The effects range from the personal to the the corporate, to the from the individual, to the level of the church. Now turn with me to Philippians chapter one just to show you this. Philippians chapter one, because we understand that what we do individually has a consequence on a corporate level in other words your personal private life is actually not personal or private (laughs) according to the bible we are a body we are connected one to another if one member suffers paul says the whole body suffers i mean just take a fingernail and, and rip it off of your pinky or something That tiny little member of your body, some of you are sitting there going, gross. Yeah, it is gross. But that's how it is when one member of the church is suffering. When one member of the church is in sin, is in trespass, or or something is not functioning properly, the whole body feels like they're like shockwaves, the seismic activity. We all feel it. And we are all subjected to the consequences, either positively or negatively. Negatively, the Bible says, Do you not know? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But positively, we can also, because of our suffering and because of our example in our suffering, we can also have a very positive effect on the body of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 12, what a perfect example of this. This is the Apostle Paul undergoing. A big trial, not a little trial. This is a big trial. He has been thrown into prison because of the gospel. That's a big trial. That's not a little trial, right? And what happened because of his example? What happened because he chose to live godly? He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, oh, those circumstances... He found himself chained to a Roman soldier. Talk about finding yourself in a particular circumstance. (laughs) You are chained to a soldier who's making sure that you do not escape or else you will suffer at the edge of his sword. (laughs) So he's in quite a predicament here. He says, it's turned out, watch this, for the greater progress of the gospel. What does he mean? So that my imprisonment In the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And so, in other words, by his imprisonment, the gospel went out. Something else happened. And the most of the brethren trusting in the Lord, watch this, because of my imprisonment, because of my suffering, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In other words, his suffering led to untold boldness in the lives and in the hearts and in the faith of other believers who basically said, if Paul can do it, we can do it. If Paul does it, we will do it. That's what it does. That's what it produces every time. You, just, you can see that throughout the history of the Christian church. Whenever persecution was at an all-time high, martyrdoms were taking place, people began to save as they said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you kill us, the more we multiply. Because God accomplishes a great purpose through our suffering. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, going back to our text, Paul makes the same point. His suffering was for the greater benefit of the, of the Corinthian church. In this context, of course, for him it was persecution, but it extends beyond that. There's a benefit derived from his suffering. Look what he says. But if we are afflicted, this is Second one 1.6, he says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And there was a benefit derived from the relief that he experienced through his suffering as well. There was also an encouragement when God relieved him of his suffering because he says, Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, watch this, which is effective, it is effective, in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Isn't that amazing? In other words, They saw God bring relief to the Apostle Paul. And so the Corinthians are thinking, as we are suffering in the same way, there's light at the end of the tunnel. If God can bring comfort and relief to this Christian, then maybe he'll bring comfort and relief to me. And he will. And he often does. Paul's logic is that we are all suffering in the same ways. Though maybe not in the exact same circumstance. In other words, it's the same quality, but maybe this different quantity, I guess you can say it. We may not suffer to the same degree. We may not suffer with the same outcome. But the point is that we share in suffering. We all feel pain. We know what it feels like. Paul's only hope was that he would have fellowship with the Corinthians, whether in suffering or in comfort, that they would take no other perspective than his. Look at verse 7. He says, Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you share in our sufferings, so also you are shares of our comfort, that we would share in the same experience. The world simply cannot cope in this way. Instead, the world flies to other things. They go to substance abuse, drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol, immorality, narcissistic fatalism, often expressed on social media and often resulting in suicide. This is what David means that for him, even though the wicked... The boastful will deride him. He will not turn away from God's law. Christians have no business going to those kinds of coping mechanisms when they suffer. Not at all. Of course, those types of things do not transcend their trials anyway, ultimately leaving them without hope. So that's my last point. Not only suffering with a purpose, but last of all, suffering, therefore, with hope. What is the hope that we have? Hope is the most important thing of all. I mean, there can be nothing more lonely in life than to suffer and then to have no hope at all. But Paul gives us this in order so that we may understand that we have hope. See, the Apostle Paul understood, in a sense, what what it meant to be hopeless. Look at uh, verse 8 with me uh, there in the chapter. The Apostle Paul says, and this is really getting to the heart of it now. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction that came upon us in Asia. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Notice that. So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, how bad did it get? We had the sentence of death within ourselves i don't think you really understand what's going on here the apostle paul is saying at the deepest existential level we had as it were an inner sense that we're toast <laughs> we're gonna die uh, the labor that they were undergoing in asia that mis- uh, uh, during that time and their in his missionary journeys trials had gotten so bad that he thought there is literally no way out of this one. As a matter of fact, in uh, Acts chapter 16, there's sort of a parallel account where the Spirit told him, right? Assured him that he, if he went in certain regions, he would suffer. And the Holy Spirit actually forbade him from going into certain areas for his own good. But sadly, many are tempted to fall apart at this all-important level when we are overwhelmed with ourselves. But look at Paul. He was overwhelmed. He was to the point of despair. The Apostle Paul became very, very vulnerable with us when he speaks of this because, frankly, we are give, we're giving a glimpse here of his psychological state of mind. He felt overwhelmed. He said, burdened excessively. That simply means beyond what he was able to bear psychologically. He says that he was in essence totally helpless. He says it was beyond our strength. He was impotent to relieve his circumstances. And then even further than that, it says that he was hopeless. He was hopeless. He says we despaired even of life. Don't lose me now, people. He despaired even of life itself. Where the only thing that his body was telling him was that he had the certainty of the sentence of death within himself. What he's saying is, in all of this affliction, the only thing we know for certain is that we have the sentence of death within ourselves. That we knew. (laughs) That's how bleak. That's how dismal it was. But now turn with me to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, because again... The Apostle Paul will give us a paradoxical look at the power of the Christian life, the dynamics and the reality of the believer's endurance, your perseverance and mine, how we're supposed to endure these kinds of trials, with what perspective. Look at what he says there in 2 Corinthians 4-7. He says, we have this treasure in, our earthen, in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. In other words, same thing that he says in chapter 12, right? In weakness, God is glorified. In weakness, His power is perfected. That's what he's saying here. God chose not a bunch of superheroes to get it done. I know that's funny, right? <laughs> He didn't choose that. Yeah, that's right. If any, we're definitely not superheroes. That is a good place to laugh at. No, he chose clay pots, earthen vessels. That term, earthen vessel, in our modern vernacular, it would basically uh, reduce us to the level of like Walmart Tupperware that you don't keep. <laughs> this was dispensable cardboard boxes. What it's saying is that we are so weak and fragile that if God doesn't empower us, we definitely don't have what it takes to contain the treasure that is within us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Here we go. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body The dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body you see when we suffer when we are afflicted when we're sick when we're experiencing pain when we choose to have the right perspective guess what comes out of that we see life we see glory we see hope we see joy we see the ability to transcend this world. We become otherworldly when we persevere with this kind of hope. He says, for, while, for, while, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And this is the whole principle here. This is the way that Paul looked at his life paradoxically. So death works in us. He doesn't deny it. But life in you, you see that? True, we may be perishing. True, our outer man is fading away, perishing. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. Yes, you may be laying in a hospital bed, fading away vanishing before our very eyes but if you are in christ and you are persevering by faith if we had spiritual glasses that could see we would see that the inner man is being renewed day by day and not because of any antibiotic but because of the principle of the life of christ that is at work in our heart why why does this all happen Because we are suffering for nothing? No, absolutely not. We're suffering for a purpose. And he talks about that again. Look with me at um, uh, verse 9 here of Corinthians, going back to chapter 1. He says, Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the hope, excuse me, but in God who raises the dead but in God who raises the dead. so what is it that God is trying to achieve in all of our suffering he's trying to produce in us a properly placed faith you see sometimes only suffering will reveal where your faith is really at sometimes it's not until you are crushed down to this degree that we get to see what are you truly trusting in Are you trying to cling on to this life? Are you upset at God in the moment of trial because, well, things didn't turn out the way you'd hoped they would? That's why it's so important for us, brothers and sisters, to be busy about the Lord's business, to be surrounded by spiritual things, spiritual people, a spiritual community. J. Adams said, if you die in old age and you get lazy in the kingdom... I'll never forget reading this. Uh, J. Adams, he, after what 50 years of counseling, he said, "If you're not active for the Lord in old age, there's a really good chance, based on how many, you know, how much experience he's had, you're going to die a very angry, disappointed, resentful person." And I thought, "Wow, I don't want to die like that. I don't want to die like that. I want to die knowing that this is not my." world, that this is not my home. I want to die knowing that I'm, I was just a stranger passing through. Folks, don't forget of the brevity of life. We used to open air preach Santa Monica with Ray Comfort, and he used to have a big chart. And the chart was, here's the ages of different people, and here's how many weekends you got left. And so the older you get, of course, the less weekends you have. <laughs> and he would always rub it in with, And you know how fast the weekend goes by. And some people would sit there and literally be struck by that chart because they're in their 60s, they're in their 70s, and they look at the chart and they're like, I don't have very many weekends left, according to that. Brothers, don't you understand that in 100 years, this life is going to seem like a dream? Just like that, it will be over. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, after that, the judgment. It'll be that fast, that quick. It's incredible. John Piper says, A life lived, a death died, and an eternity entered is an awesome thing. We have to really have an eternal perspective in order to interpret our suffering in the right way. We have to have our faith firmly fixed. Look at the text. On God who raises the dead. Paul doesn't say that he goes from trusting himself, not trusting yourself, okay, that's good, to God who is able to heal me from the sickness. No. That would be a hope that would be too small. That would be a faith that would be too limited. That would be a faith that doesn't allow you to transcend this life, But God, uh, Paul says, no, 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 no. We put our faith in God who has the ability to raise the dead, which presupposes, brothers and sisters, that we have an eschatological worldview, that we believe that we are living in light of eternity. And that's why we cannot hold on to our lives that dearly. So what do we do in the interim? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us that. Look at verse 11. Here he gets very practical as to what do we do in the interim of all these things. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf, excuse me, on our behalf, for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. In other words, when you're suffering, seek prayer and pray for people, right? You know, because we believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe God decrees whatsoever comes to pass. But within the decrees of God, you also understand that Reformed theology teaches God utilizes the means that He has decreed in order to accomplish His end. And many times, that ordained means is your end getting down on your knees and praying for someone. That's the tool, the vehicle. That is the mechanism that he uses to get us the aid that we need. That's what happens every time somebody falls ill, the church prays, and they're restored. Don't doubt it for a second that your prayers were instrumental and bringing that person back to health. And that the same sovereign Calvinist God who ordained their healing also ordained that you would get down on your knees and pray. If we only understood the beauty of being used by God to accomplish His work, we would pray more. We would not shy away. We would not shy away from praying and from the dignity of being God's instruments in His hands. And thanks be to God, Paul says, will result in, in the interim. When we pray and when that type of thing happens, what it results is is twofold. Deliverance for the person that was prayed for, sometimes it was Walter Martin who was famous for saying, I've prayed for people in the hospital and they've gotten healed i prayed for other people in the hospital, and they died. <laughs> so no, this is no word of faith approach. We know that at the end of the day, God is sovereign. We know at the end of the day, for whatever purpose and whatever reason, for his own glory, God has our times in his hand, and he knows exactly when we are supposed to go home. Brothers and sisters, every hair on your head is numbered. Every day is already marked out for you. There is an appointed time. You will make the appointment. It's not like Google, will, you know, you might forget your appointment or, you know, some, your phone will not alert you. God doesn't forget that at this time, on this day, and at this moment, at this very hour, this second, this millisecond, so-and-so will be summoned into eternity, and your soul is going to be required. But we trust ourselves, just like Paul says, we trust ourselves to God. We have faith in God who is able to raise us from the dead Let me just say one last thing, because the carnal mind thinks like this, fix your hope on God who raises the dead. who cares, it's over by then. But Paul thinks this way, no, 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 no. To be resurrected is to arrive at the highest form of existence. The greatest form of existence is not ever going to be found in this life. No matter how healthy you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how happy you are right now, no matter how prosperous, no matter how great things are going for your life, this world, as if you need me to inform you, is not as good as it gets. The resurrected life is what we should be living our lives for. pray that God fills our hearts to have hope in that.